grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What sort of activities would you say define a friend? What sort of activities define friendship? Maybe you can share with me your thoughts. All right, so who here wants to share one thing that you would say shows friendship? Somebody there in a time of need. All right, a time of need. So helping someone who is in need. Trust. Trust. Someone you can count on. Someone that like points you back to Christ. Points you back to Jesus. A friend will always have that most important thing in mind, Jesus. Well, there's certainly some more practical things we could think of, too. Right? Everyday things, friends. Enjoy doing the same things together. All right, you do stuff together. You do things you enjoy together. That could be uh, having someone over for a game night or for a meal. Uh, it could be going on a, a vacation and inviting some of your friends to come along. Another thing friends do is, is share good news. So if something exciting to you happens, and you, you text your friend, you tell them, you know, my wife's pregnant. Might also be bad news, as we said. In John chapter 15, Jesus lays out what he considers two of the most significant activities for friends to do together. In John 15 is part of this longer discourse in the upper room. It's the night before Jesus dies. Now, on Wednesday night, we're going to be starting a series in the upper room, Evenings with Jesus, an evening that will never end. And we'll be looking more specifically at these chapters where Jesus unpacks his intimate relationship with the Father and his intimate relationship with his people that starts on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday service at 6.30. But we're getting a glimpse into it right here in chapter 15 where Jesus says, number one, a friend lay, is willing to lay down his life for the one he loves. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends. The second thing he says defines friendship is that a friend speaks the truth plainly and honestly and genuinely. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For everything I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That's part of this whole series of conversations in the upper room that Jesus is unpacking the truth. He's not hiding things from his friends. He's telling them what they need to know. And so a friend is not only willing to sacrifice himself for the one he loves, but he is also going to speak plainly and honestly and genuinely to them. So we'll be looking at this in our sermon today, but I want you to think about that as we look around the church today. We look around this church, and what sorts of activities do we do 
with the other people in this building. Well, we could say we're all friends because we share a meal together, right? We share Holy Communion together. There's no greater meal than Holy Communion. And probably some of you are going to come to the potluck after the service today. You're all invited. And you're going to sit with your friends and have a meal together. But if you look around this church, and just take a minute, just look around, look behind you. If you're up in the front, look toward the back. Now the people in the back can see all the people in the front. Now see who's here. Okay, and as you look around, think of this. Am I willing to die for that person? There's probably some people out there that you don't even know. And maybe you've even been going to this church together for decades. And you really don't know these people. But they're here. They're sitting in church. They come from their life and they've chosen this day to come to this church with you. Are you willing to die for that person? Well, Jesus says he is. He says You are my friends. So he looks at every person here and says that I am willing to lay down my life for you. And I will speak the plain, honest truth to you. And so if you look around and you see somebody you don't really know, maybe there's some people that are kind of strangers to you. I was in O'Hara's bakery not too long ago, and I, I saw a waitress wearing this slogan. People who are in the front can probably see what it says here. It says, there are no strangers here, only friends you haven't met yet met. There are no strangers here, only friends you haven't yet met. Now that's a bakery restaurant slogan, a good one. But does that slogan apply to this church? I would say that Jesus wants us to think in those terms that when new people come into the church or people that we haven't yet introduced ourselves to to yet, we might think of them as strangers. We don't know them. We don't know where they're coming from or why they're here or where they're going after this. But they're really just friends we haven't met yet. And there may come a point where that's the very person that you're going to end up becoming friends with helping out in a time of need, sharing a meal today in the potluck with, maybe you'll sit down next to that person you don't know. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples to think of friendship in a deeper way than we're used to thinking of in our day-to-day life. And here are the three ways he lays it out for us. Jesus is our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Firstly, by being with us in trials. Secondly, by laying down his life for us. And thirdly, by speaking the truth plainly to us. First of all, he's with us in trials. The situation we're looking at in John chapter 21 is that Jesus is prompted by this night of fishing. The disciples go out. These are fishermen. Apparently, now that Jesus has risen from the dead, doesn't mean that he's showing himself to them all the time or he's physically with them all the time. 
And so they're decided that night to go fishing. Well, they're out all night and they don't catch anything. Does that sound familiar? In fact, the first time they ever met Jesus, the same thing happened. In Luke chapter 5, it describes how they went out fishing and they fished all night and they didn't catch anything. It's prompted by this night of struggle, this night of nothing seeming to happen until a man stands on the shore and calls to them. At first, they don't recognize him. But when they cast the net down into the water and they bring it back up in this miracle catch of fish, they remember. The first time they met Jesus, the same thing happened. Jesus doesn't say to them, excuse me, Peter doesn't say what he said the first time. The first time he met Jesus, he said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I can't be in your presence. But this time, Peter doesn't say that. Instead, he jumps in the water. It says he he casts himself in, plunges deep, and swims to shore. Well, the others who maybe are more practical thinkers just say, well, let's just row the boat to shore. This is a friend. William Shakespeare has a quote in one of his plays, Henry V, where he says, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It's spoken by the king before they go into battle, and he's trying to stir up the morale of his troops. He calls them a band of brothers. We read that proverb earlier that said, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And even though those men that you go into battle with aren't actually your blood brothers, they become closer than your brother because you've been through struggle with them. And so one of the closest bonds of friendship is forged in struggles and trials, a night of catching nothing. The world isn't used to this because friendships are usually based on other sorts of things in our world. In the Greco-Roman world, friendships were more of an arrangement, a mutual arrangement for mutual advantage. They were more used to friendships where you do something for me so I can do something for you. These are the sorts of friendships that would have a hierarchy. So one would be higher than the other, a master to a servant, a citizen to the emperor, a client to a patron. And in each one of these, there's an exchange of goods going on. That love was something to be exchanged, but it was more than that. It was a mutual advantage. But Jesus says his friendship is not the Lord to his servants. Instead, he says it is friend to friend. It is not top to bottom, but it's side to side, shoulder to shoulder. He's at our side even when we are not at his side. Think of Peter. Peter was convinced that when the moment came for battle, when the time of warfare came, he would be with Jesus. In chapter 13, Jesus says, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. By the way, that's key for the very last verse of our text. 
Where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter was convinced he was ready to do anything for Jesus, but he didn't realize that first he needed Jesus to do everything for him. Before that friendship could be forged and bonded together as a band of brothers, it had to go through trial. It had to go through struggle. And this was the spiritual warfare that Satan is waging against the world, against us, against our relationships in this church. It happens, and it's still happening, and it will keep happening. Times when we hurt each other, times when we deny each other or we let each other down. Family, friends, and church members. It's only Jesus that can overcome these sorts of hurts and struggles and difficulties. We few, we happy few. Well, we are the few. And we are going through whatever trial you're going through. Even the person you saw back there that you said, I don't really know that person, is a person you're sharing the trial with right now. You just don't know it. A stranger who is actually a friend you just haven't met yet. Because whether or not you're involved and you know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be revealed that that stranger is a friend you just hadn't met yet. That we are all going through the same thing. It's a struggle, and it's a struggle that leads to death. So Jesus told his disciples, Greater love has no one than this, that you should lay down your life for your friend. The second way Jesus shows his friendship is he lays down his life. Now, we could imagine this line being spoken in our world, lay down your life. But it's usually spoken by a superior to an inferior. It's usually something that a senator, a commanding officer, a superior might say, lay down your life for your men, for your team, for your country. However, in our world, often the person speaking that is not the one to be the first out into battle, not to be the first to risk his life. And yet here you have the highest ranking official we could ever imagine, God himself, who is not just telling you to go lay down your life, but he's the first one to do it. He's the first one to give it all up, the power, the glory, the riches, and the fame, and for those who don't even like him, for those who hate him, for his very enemies, he lays down his life. Jesus reveals his love in that while we were strangers, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Tearing down walls so that you who were strangers far off from even knowing God or his covenant in this date back thousands of years. God has made it possible to tear all of that down through Christ so that you Gentiles can be brought in. He dies for you. He lays down his life. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep. But a a hired hand doesn't know his sheep. He runs away when there's trouble. But the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's laid down his life for you. That's friendship. Having struggled with you, having laid down his life for you, he then speaks plainly. After all of this, he can finally speak right to your heart. And you know that he doesn't have any ulterior motives in mind. What he's after in your heart has no other motive than love. However difficult, however painful that truth might be. And so listen what he says to Peter. Three times he says, do you love me? How would you feel if Jesus said this to you? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I'd start to wonder if I really did love him. Three times he says it, just like three times Peter denied it. Three times Peter turned down that love. Three times Peter turned against Jesus, turned away. And unlike a friend, he didn't speak the truth. But three times Jesus says, do you love me? He speaks plainly. And Jesus has to. There are plenty of relationships in this world that we know where people hide things from us. Relationships that you can see in politics. Where the head of state will give a speech or give a news report, but you know... They're not revealing all the secrets about the balloons that are flying over our country and all the things that precipitated or that will follow. You know they're hiding things and keeping them for national security reasons. Or you watch an NFL coach come on and get interviewed about plans for the new season and that coach is going to tell you things, but he's not going to reveal all his secrets. He's not going to reveal his game plan. And then we have acquaintances we know in our personal lives, at work or at home, who we know they're not really telling us the whole story. We say, how are you doing? And they say, good. You really think that's the whole story? But Jesus says a friend doesn't hide things. Now, Jesus did hide things 
from his enemies. There were many times when he didn't speak. There were other times when he spoke in riddles and parables. But when he speaks to you, he wants you to know everything. (coughs) Excuse me. And this is what he wants Peter to know. If you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, take care of my flock. If you love me, feed my sheep. He's showing Peter that Peter's going to follow in the same footsteps as Jesus. At the very end, the last thing he says to him is, follow me. Peter's going to follow in the same footsteps as Jesus. The footsteps of struggle. Struggle against the enemy. Struggle against spiritual forces of wickedness. Struggle against those who hate and persecute the church and its people. He's going to preach that message of love. Peter's going to lay down his life for his friends. As the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, Jesus says, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and go wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It's talking about how he will be crucified just as Jesus was. When he was young, he could put on that cloak, gird himself, dive in the water and swim to Jesus when he wanted to. But as he gets older, as a pastor who is well-seasoned in times of struggle and persecution, what he's going to do for his flock to show them how much he loves Jesus and them is he's going to be crucified for his faith. He's going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and he's going to do so finally by speaking that plain truth. Do you want a pastor who hides things from you? Do you want a pastor who tells you what you want to hear? Do you want a pastor who just makes you feel better, even though there's something that you really need to know that's making you feel worse? He says, feed my sheep, tend the flock, take care of my people. Because there are no strangers here. There's no strangers here. Only friends we have yet to meet. Now, the time that I saw this slogan on the waitress's shirt, I was actually there to listen to Timothy Peterson. He was there as the piano man that night. And I looked around and I saw some other friends. So Philip and Elliot and Grant were there. Mr. Luke and Leah and Jennifer and Miss Gant was there. Yeah, I saw friends. But not everybody in that restaurant was my friend. Not everybody in that restaurant really shares the same beliefs and love of my Savior that I probably do. Not every one of those people is necessarily somebody I'm ready to die for. But when we come into church, we few we happy few, we band of brothers, we know that every single person in here is here because of the same thing, the love of Jesus. And this 
is your family, and these are your friends. Amen.